0: to experience this season. And so, Father, we want to come before you. We want to move closer to you this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you would open our hearts to hear from you, that, Father, no one in this room needs to hear from me, but we desperately need to hear from you. And so, Father, as your word is read, as your word is talked through, Father, would your Holy Spirit take that and anoint that and speak to the hearts of, of everyone who hears that so that they could hear from you? And would you meet them where they're at and draw them closer? Would you call them closer to you? And give them hearts that are open to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this next passage, starting in in verse 31 of John chapter 8, we need to remember back a little bit to the last thing that Dave said last week in the sermon. And I wish if we could kind of do a previously on Redemption Tucson, I would play the last couple of minutes of his sermon. Because he ends in verse 30, which is right before 31 where we're starting today. And we need to kind of connect that verse with where we begin In verse 31 this morning. So if we look at that, because there's a key to understanding what's getting ready to take place in the rest of this passage. And so in verse 30 and 31, Jesus, it says, and as he was saying these things, in verse 30, many believed in him or on him, some translations may say. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Now let's pause there. In verse 30, we see that some believed in Jesus Or on Jesus. But in verse 31, Jesus said just those who, it says that Jesus spoke to those who believed him. No in or on mentioned. Now it seems like a minor thing that we can just pass right over, but in the original languages, there's some distinction being made between these two, in these two phrases, that are very important for us to see. And if we really want to understand what's going to come next in this passage, we need to catch this difference that, that John's pointing out in his choices of words. Because you see the belief mentioned in verse 30 that they believed in him or on him is a type of belief where they were entrusting themselves to Jesus. They took him at his word. They were willing to submit their lives to him. They were willing to lay down their own agenda, their own ideals, and whatever they were kind of coming to him with, they were ready to set that aside, to follow him, to come and receive his word and his will and his agenda and take that on. They were willing to make his word their dwelling place. And this is the mark of a genuine belief and genuine faith. But as we come into verse 31, there's a contrast. When it says that they believed him, it's a different story. In one dictionary I read just simply said, they believed what Jesus said about himself was true, but with their own interpretation. Now, how many times have we listened to what Jesus had to say, and we believed it, but with our own interpretation? See, they were bringing their own expectations, their own perceptions, their ideas of what the Messiah was to be about, and what he would do for them, and they were imposing that on Jesus. It was as if they were saying, Jesus, we believe that you're the Messiah just as you say you are, but here's what we expect from you now. Spurgeon called this, in his sermon on this passage, he called this counterfeit belief. They proclaimed a belief, but really, it wasn't there. It was a weak and feeble faith, he says, that is void of hope. It is a belief that is not ready to accept everything that Jesus says or commands of us. It believes on him, and listen to this, it believes on him only so long as Jesus lines up with our own ideas, our own desires. It's a temporary belief Because the minute Jesus deviates from this agenda, they walk away. And we see this all through the Gospels, story after story, where Jesus says something difficult, something that the people don't want to hear, and the scripture says they followed him no more. In fact, if you just turn a couple pages to the left, you'll see (laughs) the very thing happen. And I've seen this counterfeit belief in our own day. People who come to Jesus to fix something, to give them something, or to do something for them, on their behalf. And they get involved in church. They go through the motions. They, they serve. They do all the kind of things. But the minute Jesus deviates from that expectation, then they fall away and they, they go and do something else. And Jesus even highlights this in the parable of the sower when he says that there are some who hear the gospel and they accept it at once with joy. In Matthew chapter 7, he says this, but when things get tough, things don't go their way, then they wither and fall away. And you can see this theme in other parables throughout the Gospels as well. It's a counterfeit faith. And Jesus recognizes this faith in the hearers that he's talking to. And so he wants to respond and he turns to address them. Now, if we look at the second half of verse 31, we see that Jesus begins to address them. And as we read what Jesus says, we we might be expecting that he would say he would rebuke them or challenge them or call them out for that. He might even say, you know what, you guys need to just get out of here. Like, your faith is, is broken, and you need to go away. And when you get it figured out, then come back and we'll talk. But it's not what he did. It's not Jesus' response to them. In fact, Calvin says in his commentary that Jesus recognized that while their faith was ignorant and feeble, it was, and I like this, not so small or obscure a knowledge of faith as to not... ...in salvation... So let's look and see how Jesus responds. In verse 31, the second half of 31 and verse 32, he says, if you abide in my word, he's speaking to them, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Rather than rebuke, Jesus recognized that there was a seed of genuine faith in the middle of their their counterfeit faith. There was something for which he wanted to call out and to draw them closer. And so rather than rebuke them, Jesus draws near to them. And and the tone in in which John writes this in the language is is pastoral. Jesus wasn't rebuking, he was pastoring them. He was saying, come closer, see better. Your faith is weak. And, and, And really, if your faith stays kind of where it is, it's not even really real faith, but there's something there. So come closer, draw closer to me. If you abide in my word, then you will be my disciples. And when we think of that word abide, it's not a word we use a lot, all the, a lot of times these days. What he's saying is continue with me, stay close to me. It's like, just latch onto, my, latch onto my garments and let's walk together. Don't go away. And in so doing, he promises them a reward and a privilege. He says, when you abide in me, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will will set you free. He's offering them to know him and to receive the freedom that comes from that, even when they're starting from a place of such an almost broken faith. He sees the deeper need, and what's interesting is they can't see it. It's a need that they're blind to, but he's calling it out. He's pointing them, pointing them towards it, and he wants them to step closer so their eyes can be opened, because only then will they be able to see what he's talking about and be his disciples. How do you respond to Jesus when he says these kinds of things? In whatever way he does it, when he calls calls these and points out these kind of areas of broken belief in us, how do you respond to him? Maybe that comes through reading the word. Maybe that comes through talking to a godly friend who's pointing things out to you. Do you resist it and justify it? Do you flip it back on God and and on Jesus and say, no, it's really you who's wrong. Like, I, I get this, but something's wrong about you. You know, it's our response in those moments that can help us see where we have faith that's disconnected from really what Jesus is calling us to be. It's our response in those moments that, that we, if we'll have ears to hear them, if we'll be alert for them, will help us see these blind spots and catch them and be able to press into Jesus. And then we can be like David when, when Nathan confronted him With his sin with Bathsheba, he was able to fall on his face before God. So how did they respond? How did the Israelites? Well, it says scripture in verse 33, scripture says, they answered Jesus. If you look at that, it says they answered him. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? And that word answer there, they were talking back. They were answering back. They were arguing with Jesus. When I was a kid growing up, if my mom said something I didn't like and in my arrogance and, and teenage, you know, thinking too much of myself, I would talk back to her. And she'd be like, and my mom, I can remember, I can see it today, where she'd be like, don't you talk back to me. And that's what they're doing to Jesus. They're talking back to him. They're like, no. Like, who are you to tell us this? The tone of the language is adversarial. See, because they were insulted. They were insulted that Jesus would dare to insinuate that they needed freedom. They were basically saying to Jesus, who do you think you are telling us we need freedom? Abraham makes us free. We aren't slaves to anyone. Now, if you're like me, you're kind of going, wait, what? What about Egypt? You were slaves in Egypt. What about Babylonia? You were slaves there too. In Syria, you were slaves in Syria. Well, I mean, maybe if you look around right now, you'll see some Roman soldiers and kind of remember that you're under impression from Rome right now. And it would seem obvious, but it wasn't that they were missing that point. It was that they were actually making a theological point back to Jesus. And Alfred Edersheim states, no principle was more fully established in the popular condition of Israel than that all Israel had a part in the world to come because of their connection with Abraham. You see, they believed that the success that Moses had, that David had, that Daniel, all of their fathers that came before them and the salvation that they all received was merited to them because of Abraham. And so they believed that they also would merit salvation through the work of Abraham. And you can see this if you look at some of the rabbinic writings, that they actually have stories that Abraham is sitting at the gates of hell. in case any Jewish brother or sister would, might find themselves on the way through those gates, he would turn them away and, and, and take care of them so they wouldn't have to enter in to Guiana or hell. They believed, when you look deeper into that, that it was Abraham who would set them free. They believed that Abraham was, essentially, though they don't say it, was the, the remedy for their sin. You see, they didn't need Jesus to save them things. What they needed was Jesus to deal with Rome. They needed Jesus to deal with the hardships of life. They needed him to take care of disease and famine and poverty and the harsh treatment that they were un- undergoing. These were the things that if he is the Messiah, this is what Jesus should take care of. I don't need saving from sin. Abraham's got that taken care of. But you see, they're responding from a place of hidden bondage a place where they're enchained to this counterfeit belief. It's an entrapment that they were blind to. And really, it's the worst kind of bondage when you're enchained that you can't see and you're unable to realize or maybe even unwilling. And if you think with me for a minute, what would it have been like if the Israelites had responded as Peter had just a couple of chapters back? When Jesus tells the crowd that they need to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood if they're going to have any part of them. And scripture tells us that many walked away. And I always envision that with Peter standing there, watching them walk off in the distance and the crowd is leaving. And Peter's quiet for maybe the first time in his life, perplexed, not knowing what to say for the first time in his life. And he's just thinking the same thing that those people walking away are probably thinking, Jesus, something's not lining up with what I thought. And I can just imagine Jesus walking up and kind of putting his arm around him and looking, they're looking together and Jesus leans over and says, do you want to go too? And Peter, watching them fade into the distance, looks at Jesus and says, where, to whom else would we go? Where else would we go, Jesus? You alone have the words of life." And you see, that's the difference between the genuine faith of believing on Jesus and the counterfeit faith of just believing Jesus. When you believe Jesus, but not on him, when things don't go your way, you walk away. The crowd left, but Peter stayed. He had genuine faith. He had entrusted himself to Jesus. So Jesus, hearing this response from the Israelites, answers back. And I find it interesting that that John chooses to say Jesus answered them in the same way they answered him. So now I think the pastoral tone is still there, but now he's taking like a much more stern approach to them, but still full of hope. And through that, he's giving them a warning. So let's look at what he says to them in verse 34 through 38 truly I say to you truly truly I say to you and I always like to remind people when you see truly truly it's it's the bible way of going listen really close like you need to hear what I'm about to say saying listen really close I say to you everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin the slave does not remain in the house forever the son remains forever so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then Jesus says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my finds no place. In I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. See, Jesus is clarifying the point he's making with them. It's sin that has enslaved them. It's sin that they are in bondage to, but they can't see it. And unless they come to Jesus, they cannot be saved. For as long as they are saved, their time as part of Israel in the house, so to speak, is limited. It's only the son, the legitimate heir, who can make them free. And it's only the son who can remain in the house forever. And he's talking to them into, in a legal language that they have understood about property and inheritance and these things. And making the point that, look, if you're just a slave in the house, your place is not secure You need to be freed. And he tells them that only those made free by the son get to remain in the house. And so he goes on to address their appeal to righteousness through Abraham. And it's as if he says to them, I know that you are the biological descendants of Abraham, but that means nothing spiritually. Spiritually, their father is the devil, he tells them. And if it remains, if they remain in that place, if, they, if that's who stays, to be, stays their father, they will benefit nothing from their connection to Abraham. As we'll see in the following passage that come right after this, Jesus continues to break this down for them. But what Jesus is saying to them is, Abraham's children are the ones who have genuine faith. They believe on me. Abraham's children recognize Jesus. Abraham's children entrust themselves to him. Abraham's children, those who are in the house, who are freed by the son, are those who give themselves fully to Jesus. So what's at stake in this passage for us? You know, as always, when, when Jesus is teaching, it's kind of everything. Our eternity and our manner of living, believing on Jesus, produces fruit that is in keeping with repentance. It brings salvation, and as Jesus says here, it brings truth and freedom and all that comes from being adopted sons in God's kingdom now and for all eternity. But simply believing Jesus rather than believing on him produces arrogance, pride, bondage, and ultimately apostasy. Ultimately, if our faith is only believing him to do what we want, we're going to fall away. See, when we believe Jesus, but we impose on him our own will, our own ideas, our own expectations, whatever they may be, it could be our political views, it could be our theological views, our cultural or other ideological views, or whatever it may be that we're imposing upon Jesus and expecting him to carry out on our behalf, we're going to find ourselves falling away. We're going to find ourselves slaves. And as Jesus says, the slaves will not remain in the house forever. In fact, Matthew 7 you know sometimes you read these, you, these ideas, and you know, we believe in the perseverance of the saints, and so it's hard sometimes to hear these things and to wonder how, they, how we should process them. But Matthew seven, Jesus even says, "Many will come in the final day and say, "Lord, Lord, and Jesus will respond, "Depart from me. I never knew you." Because like the Israelites, if we don't believe on Jesus, if we don't entrust ourselves, if we don't make Him our dwelling place. We'll find that we're not in the house like we thought we were. You know, and this is why Paul says all the time, examine yourself. See if you be in the faith. Everything is at stake. So what do we do? How do we respond to this? A couple of a couple of ideas. Take stock of the quality of your faith. Like I was saying, Paul's always telling us to do that. Be aware that you have blind spots. Be aware that there may be some areas in your life that even if you're entrusting yourself to Jesus, there may still be some areas in where you're really just believing him and you're really still t- bringing your, your own ideas. So ask, be aware, ask Jesus to reveal these things to you and be ready to listen. Look for the areas where you're talking back to God or talking back to Jesus. It's a sure sign when you're reading the scripture or you're hearing a sermon or you're talking to a friend and they're, they're calling you to check for something that maybe is misaligned in your life, It's real easy to talk back and to justify yourself. Be ready to catch that and be ready to surrender. And most importantly, listen to what Jesus said to the Israelites at the beginning. Verse 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Continue in Jesus' word and his teaching Press into him as he's calling you closer and be ready to obey. So as we come to a close, wherever you're at, whatever your state of your faith, you may be in a place where you're like, I'm all in. like I've entrusted myself to Jesus. I'm ready to do whatever he wants. But there still may be some areas in your life I know in mine. Or maybe you just don't know Jesus at all. You're checking this thing out. You don't, you certainly don't believe on him and you're not even sure if you believe him. That's okay. Because the thing that's interesting in this is Jesus doesn't rebuke. He calls closer. So wherever you are right now in your faith, wherever you are in your walk with Christ, shake off those hidden chains of bondage. Press into Jesus. Move closer to him. Make his word your dwelling place. Tear down those walls. Because no matter how non-existent or counterfeit or weak your faith is today, Jesus is not rejecting you. He's calling you closer. Will you receive him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that Jesus gives us. It's amazing to me how he can preach such convicting, teach and say such convicting and and piercing things in a way that gives life and hope and love. And so, Father, if we hear these words of Jesus today and we walk away discouraged, we miss the point of what he's saying. Jesus is calling us closer. Even if our faith is broken, he says, come closer. So would you help us, Father, to move closer to Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you just move in this room and and to anybody that's watching this and meet with them and help them to move closer to you? Would you let them not, even if discouraged, not walk away, but press in? Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, as Scripture tells us. Father, help us to respond to you and to receive you. In Jesus' name, amen.